I hope uh, you can have a refreshing Sunday. I really do. And, and go into this week strong. A lot of life happens between Sunday to Sunday. I mean, Wednesday to Sunday, a lot can happen. So I'm glad you made it to church today. And uh, it's good to be back in Kansas. We drove all the way from San Antonio to Kansas Thursday. We uh, did it. It took two days to get down there, but just booked it getting back. And it's good to be back. It really is. It's good to see you. And uh, thank you. Thank you for being so kind to our family. I, I really mean that. You're, you've been so gracious to us since we've been here. And, and we will miss you when uh, we start coming here less. Which, you know, weirdly enough, usually you don't look forward to those things. But Lord willing, we will be coming here less and less very soon. Uh, and, and, but we're looking forward to the 26th, to having you as our guest at Capital City Baptist Church. We got to go door knocking yesterday for the first time for me with our church tracks, and that was a lot of fun. That was, that was special. It was a benchmark to be able to see that happen, and we're working on the flyers to, to promote the, the preview services on March 6th. So things are moving along, and I uh, wanted to just get you updated. I know Brother Rhett and I, we got to drive out to St. Louis last week, I think, Friday, Thursday of last week. Thursday last week, we drove to St. Louis and picked up a piano for the church. That was, that was great. So that's in there. And oh my goodness, I was working yesterday. Um, Brother Ben Craighead came and worked with me yesterday morning early before he went out door knocking. And uh, I was in the basement. He started playing on the piano. And just to hear the music fill the building and just life. It's going from a construction zone to just some real life there. And it's, it's going to be special. So hopefully, you know, there's all still there by the time you get there on the 26th. I might be frantically like nailing things in as you pull in, but it'll be ready. That's the plan. We're looking at, at Jude. Let's read the first three verses. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. There's a lot in verse 3 to unpack. I think what we're going to do this morning, we're going to try to explore just three or four phrases. We'll look at all diligence. When I gave all diligence to write unto you, we'll look at common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort ye that ye should earnestly contend and then for the faith which was once, once delivered. So we're looking at all diligence, common salvation, earnestly contend, once delivered. That's, that's we're going to try to narrow in on those four phrases and see what the Lord has for us. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us the church. And God, I do ask that my speech and my preaching would not be with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power, that our faith would not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Lord, may we all be students of your word this morning. Would you please speak to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're going to evaluate verse 3, um, I mean, verse 1 is kind of the introduction to Jude. Uh, verse 2 is just a greeting. Verse 3, then, we go into kind of the uh, topic sentence for the, the, the whole book. And if you're going to look at the topic sentence and, and find it, explore the, the subject matter of the book, I land on common salvation. He says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. So he says, this is, this is the subject matter of what I'm writing about, salvation. And for, for those of us who grew up in church or kind of have a Baptist background, the word salvation is a very familiar term to us. We say it, we recognize it, we re it resonates with us. But I want to pause for just a minute because not everybody in here grew up the same way I grew up. 
Not everybody has the church background. Have you ever been somewhere and you called somebody brother so-and-so? And people just looked at you like, I remember being on a bus once going to a music camp and I say, hey, Brother Milligan, and all the kids on the camp, they knew him from school, from the high school that he taught music at. I'm like, what did you say? It's like, Brother Milligan. That's all, I only knew him as Brother Milligan and I didn't realize how awkward that was to say for people who weren't familiar with that term. The same goes, I think, for salvation. Uh, recently, we've been in a few churches. Oh, one, I was with Pastor Hanks and the, the guest speaker was using the word rima. Is anybody like really familiar with that term? Okay, a couple people recognize it, but generally it's, but he's preaching like passionately and, and you know, you got to get a rima. And, amen. I'm like, I don't know what he's saying. Like it sounds like I should amen here, but I don't know. And so, of course, Pastor Hanks is more dignified. He's just sitting there just listening. And I'm looking around like, Richard, do you know what rima is? And it was a classic, he didn't go for it, but it's a classic setup, you know, it's Greek to me. It's a perfect pun. Um, <laughs> I was at a church again recently, and same idea, same. And I thought, you know, I wonder if this is what non-Baptist or non-church people feel like when they come and they hear salvation. Everyone's like, amen, and you're like, salvation? Like, was the whole church recently in peril? Like, everybody was <laughs> drowning or something? And, and so to, to pause for a minute and just recognize salvation is a Bible term. Saved is a Bible term. Um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That idea of, of salvation should not perish but have everlasting life, that's, that's saved, that salvation. So Jude sh- says, I'm writing to the people about this common salvation. Now at a casual glance, the idea of common salvation, it... it it doesn't, it's, it's peculiar to me. I mean, we just heard the choir sing about it. I, I pulled the songbook from Brother Smith. Um, I can't explain the mystery of God of Calvary. To think that Jesus died for even me, I don't know all the meaning of forever or just how long it's been since time began. I can't explain how Christ who is eternal could come to earth and die for sinful men. That's salvation. And then Jude says it's a common salvation. I think about my salvation, and the more I ponder it, the word common isn't usually one of the words I, I think to describe it. Because you and I, when we think of the word common, typically we go to ordinary. Just kind of, just regular, ordinary. Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose again, eternal life. What Jude is saying is that the idea of the context of common is, is it's general. It's serving for all of us. It's available to everybody. And when you think of salvation and common salvation in that context, I think that's one of the things that makes salvation so great. Uh, the, the author of Hebrews talks about so great salvation, and you try to, to weigh that with common salvation, the idea that it's generally available to whosoever will. That's, that's the salvation that we have, and that's the salvation that Jude, Jude is talking about. It's equally available to the poor or to the rich, to the old or to the young, to the, the Jew and to the Gentile. This is what Christ made possible when he died on the cross. And the idea of this, if, if, if you're not intimately familiar with this, this idea of salvation, if it doesn't, if you don't have a testimony, a story of salvation, you need to. You need to evaluate because it makes an eternal difference. I remember when uh, three or four months ago, I was in Illinois and I was preaching. 
And the pastor asked me to do kind of a Q&A with the people about us starting this church. And, and one of the people in the church asked this question. I, don't, I still don't know what they're getting at. They said, what kind of people are you intending to reach in Topeka? I said skinny ones. Because <laughs> our building's small. And the skinnier the people, the more we can fit. <laughs> kind of, what kind of... <laughs> I still don't know. Revelation 22, 17, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. This is common salvation. The whosoever, and you need to come. You have got to have a date of salvation, a day when you came and received this. There's a category of Christians, of Christianity, who has this idea that salvation is exclusive for some. The idea of election, predestination. Now listen, you have to choke, over, choke down a whole lot of whosoever's in the Bible in order to swallow this idea. You really do. I heard an old, old preacher say once, um, there's a recording of an old preacher. I, I like going back to the really old guys. He said, I'll give you this for when it comes to election, that God voted for you, the devil voted against you, and you get to cast the deciding vote. So that makes sense. That's salvation for you right there. The idea that, yes, okay, is there a category of, of people that Jesus died for and a category that it was, will not have access to this? Is that even a thing? I mean, I, once again, if you want to try to, to say that there is, yeah, I guess there is a category. It's the sinful people, the sinners. And the Bible says that whosoever, it is available to anybody that falls, that Christ died, the just for the unjust. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So my friend, if you are a sinner, if you are not perfect, then you qualify for this common salvation. And the idea that Jude speaks about it, and, and it, he talks about the common salvation, I want to just stop for a minute this morning and have us dwell on the, the idea of when we got saved. The, the, bring your mind back to the moment where you accepted Christ as your Savior. When you were, were forever, forever changed. When your eternal destination was set, you were seated in heavenly places already. And just for a moment, it's, it's, a different, it's a different personal experience for everyone. It's all scriptural, though. And for you to recall that and appreciate that, sometimes I find myself so embarrassed when I bow to pray, and dear Jesus, thank you for this, thank you for saving me, thank you for dying on the cross to pay for my sins. Just rattle, died on the, Jesus, God, died on the cross for me. And how whimsical I am sometimes. Thanks for dying. Like, yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for paying for my meal. Thanks for dying, for giving me eternity. First to pause for a minute and recognize how great salvation, this common salvation is. For you to appreciate what God did for you, for me. Access. Take your Bibles to Mark 15. I want you to, I want us to, for a moment to, to see the heartbeat of God towards you and I. Think about when, when Chelsea was sick recently and the, the thoughts when you have a child that's ill, that's suffering, that's experiencing some loss, it's hard to think of other things. It's, it's hard not, it's hard to be, you're distracted throughout the day. You kind of, your mind goes to that constantly. All of the nuances that surround that. I can't imagine if, for those of you who have lost children, and just the grief that must, the overwhelming amount of grief that must come with that. When the only begotten Son of God died, Mark chapter 15, 
Look at the succession of these verses. Mark 15, 37, and Jesus cried with a loud voice. 15, 37, Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Next thing, 38, and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom. As soon as Jesus died, God says access for everybody. The whole purpose of my son coming and living and dying is so that the veil could be opened. It was for a time that the Holy of Holies was exclusive to only one. But now that my son has died, the perfect sacrifice has taken place, that his mind immediately went from his son dying to access for you and I to the Holy of Holies. And the idea of common salvation, the veil rent into weight, top to bottom, wide open for whosoever. And that's the subject matter that Jude is talking about through this, this passage of Scripture. Now, for you and I who have, who have received this salvation, this term is used. He talks about when I gave all diligence. Let's go back, if you would, to Jude, Jude uh, 3. I want to be able to see it in the Bible together if you can. Jude 3, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of common salvation. He talks about giving all diligence. And he says this which was once delivered unto the saints. For those of us who have received the common salvation, God in his divine providence has chosen you and I to be the couriers of this good news. To be able to carry this, he said it was once delivered to the saints. And once again, to be able to give life so much meaning and to be able to give a great purpose to our existence that God took an infinitely valuable, perfect gift of salvation and says, I'm going to trust it to your fallible, finite hands for you to carry that along and be the couriers. He said it was once delivered to the saints. The idea of, once again, it's easy application to go right out to soul winning, right out to door knocking, right out to be able to carry the gospel and to be able to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and, and I think the application is very clearly made for that. But I, I want you to understand a bigger picture that generationally, carrying the gospel from generation to generation, how did we get the Bible? How, like literally like the actual like physical Bible it was handed down, it was transferred, it was carried through, it was delivered to somebody who decided to deliver it to somebody, and it ends up here for us. How do did, how did we get the template of the church? How is it that, that the structure of this church and, and the idea that how we organize church, it comes from the word of God, but that's something that is taught, that is carried through. He said it was once delivered to the saints. I think about a fireman's chain. Before fire engines, yes, when there was a fire and they had to get the water from the well and they would take buckets and they, they would scoop it and they'd hand it down the line, down the line, down the line. And you understand that if one person in the line fails to do their job, decides to step out, decides to let the buckets just stack up there, it's going to spell disaster down the line. And the idea of the Bible says it was once delivered. And for, I have this question. How many of you here, you would, you would consider yourself a, not a first generation Christian? That someone before you was saved in your family the generation, you're not first generation. That is, I think that's a majority. The responsibility that we have, that before us somebody got saved, it was delivered to us and our responsibility to pass that along generationally. Uh, take your Bibles if you could to 2 Timothy. Let's look at this scripture together. 2 Timothy. Second Timothy 2, 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. 
Let me, let's, let's visualize this for a second. Guys, can you, can you three guys help me? And then, Rhett, can you come up? I need four guys. So the same things, I guess, Rhett, we maybe only need three. You can have a seat. Save your energy for tomorrow. Safe travels. Look, the things that you've received in me, okay, you've received in me, what are you supposed to do with those? Give those to faithful men who are able to teach others also. You get like the, the, the secession, is that the right word? Transferring of truth down the line. And so if this is a fireman's chain, right, and Simon backs out of it, yeah, there's going to be a lot more effort on you and you to be able to make sure this thing keeps going. It, it, puts, it puts the pressure back, and, and it's disappointing. You realize that this guy is going to have a hard, this guy's going to have a hard time getting it to this guy without him just giving him a hand. So it's, it seems simple, but I think it's, it, it's even bigger than that. Okay, I think you can have a seat. Can you take that with you? I think of it not just a fireman's chain, but like a literal chain. If we were to, to, to anchor a chain at that corner of that beam, and it came all the way across to this beam over here, and it, and it stretched all the way across, and link to link, chain, the chain stretched all the way across, and the, the thought is this, that, that truth is being transferred generationally from one to the next to the next. If, if a single chain decide, fails in a, in a half a second, what used to be only this far apart is going to be hugely distanced from each other. Amen. Have you witnessed this before? Grandparents are strong Christians, good people. They teach their children, and their children fail to teach their grandchildren. And it's just not like grandchildren are marginal individuals. They're horrific Christians. And you thought, how did that happen? How did it, how did it swing? How did it swing so far? How is there such a chasm between here and here? It's the pressure for the second, the third, the next generation Christian to be able to not only receive what they're giving, given, but to deliver it. You and I have the responsibility to be the couriers of the truth. He says, was once, was once delivered to the saints. As a, as a, my, I would consider myself second generation. My father first saved in, in his whole family line. My mother, first generation, saved in her line. They, they gave me something special. Amen. It's my responsibility to be able to transfer that truth to my children. But you saw in 2 Timothy, uh, there was kind of four in the line. You transfer it with such a weight, such a value, that they not only receive it, but they retain it well enough to be able to keep it going. How do we do that? Because you understand the implications if we don't. How, how folks, we see it in our country, how quickly a single generation can disrupt everything. A failure in one generation can end a family legacy. Just one generation. And not just a, look, you were a pitiful Christian. No, you were a good Christian, but you failed to take it, the responsibility of being the courier and handing it off to the next one. Once again, I don't know if you've witnessed this in families. You've seen a good church member, a good Christian, who teaches their children but for some reason, the children live it out, and as they grow up, they don't embrace it enough to be able to hand it off. And then and the, the generation, just one generation removed, it's a completely different lifestyle, completely different world. Sometimes they justify it of, I just want to have a little bit more relaxed Christianity. I just want it to be able to be a little bit more merged, a little bit different. I think it's a little bit too constricting. And in one generation, it just blows up. Uh, what... What a disappointment for the generation that started this. Amen. What a poor testimony. How do we avoid this? I think we find it. Let's go, take our Bibles then back to Jude and let's search the next phrase together. 
He says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So we looked at the phrase common salvation. We understand that it's available to all, that we've received it. And he says it is once delivered, the responsibility that we have of being couriers of the truth. But I think that as we're trying to determine how we can deliver truth to the next generation in a way that they see the value of passing it along, I think it's in the beginning phrase when he says, I gave all diligence to write unto you. The idea as we as Christians, that we have got to be consistent in our attention to what is going to convey, is, is what is going to convey the, the truth's importance. Let me, let me, guys, okay, guys, come back for a second. You can. Once again, I pass it along, the things that were delivered to me, okay, given to me, I'm going to commit those to you, okay, and you're going to give those to faithful men who will teach others also, all the way down. If at some point one of these guys is careless with this, whimsical with this, and he decides to say, okay, I'm not going to take it seriously. I'm not going to be diligent about it. I'm going to take it. I'll pass it along. But in his actions and the way he lives his lifestyle and the way he attends church and the way he reads his Bible and the way he has really not a lot of care for this, not a lot of diligence to know this, he passes it along. He does his job. His duty is done. But the, the message that was delivered here is that this is not much importance. This doesn't carry much value to it. What does the proverb say? Buy the truth and sell it not. Somehow we as Christians have got to be able to live a lifestyle that conveys the value of truth. That is more than just something that to be borrowed, to be used for a period of time and then can be given back. Working at the church, I've borrowed a lot of tools. Some of them I purchased, but I, Brother Young let me borrow some tools. Brother Daniels, Brother Howard borrowed a lot of tools. The church, I borrowed tools. Why do I borrow some tools? Because some of them, I, I can see the benefit of them for the moment, but I'm not convinced of the value of just having them for myself long term. And so I use them for the time being and then I give them back. I'm afraid that sometimes the way that we live our Christian lives, we do our duty of passing along. Here you go, kids. This is what's good. This is what we do. This is where we go to church. And, and we haven't lived a lifestyle, diligent, a, Christ, a diligent Christian lifestyle where we've conveyed the, how valuable this is. And that's why they don't pass it on. And then, and then the next generation, they don't pass it along. They drop it, and you think. Before, before we look at them and say, you failed to do your job, did, did we do our job? And not just passing it along, but so much so that they will, they will continue this. And that's what Paul said to Timothy. I'm giving this to you. You give it to faithful men. And in a way that they will teach others also. As a parent, I can't just say, I've got to be able to hand my kids this. I've got to deliver it in a way that conveys the value of truth. Amen. Otherwise, they'll think it's just something to be borrowed for the moment. And when they're done with it, they say, thanks, appreciated it. It was good while it lasted. And this guy gets nothing. And it's done. And the chain breaks, and there's a separation. He's way over there. And you're like, what happened? I took it. You didn't value it, but it goes all the way back to this guy. Thank you very much for being the fall guy on this one, okay? It goes all the way back to you and I. Thanks, guys. I think that's the end. The idea that he says it was once delivered, 
but you gave all diligence to write unto you. I put everything I had into living this thing out and to be able to convey this common salvation because this is more than just rhetoric. This is more than just an outline. This is more than just for the moment. This is eternity. And it's so big that it needs to be delivered from generation to generation. And when I give it to you, I've got to give it to you with a passion and with a belief, with a conviction, a deep conviction that you might take it and own it. The Bible says this, that the substance of a diligent man is precious. The substance of a diligent, the substance that we have in God's word, if you're diligent about it, it's defined as precious. But if you and I aren't diligent, if we're inconsistent with our living, inconsistent with our child rearing, inconsistent with our testimonies, this is Sunday, this is Monday. Why do we dress up for church? It conveys the importance of it. I, I don't know. It's, I, I don't see a thou shalt wear a tie, okay? But you just say, look, I, I don't want to diminish the value of church, the importance of church, and I, so I dress up for it. But let's, let's relax it a little bit, make it more casual. What does that tell the following generation? Well, I'm still bringing them to church. Tell them that it's, it, you've devalued it. That's what I'm saying. And there's so many categories of life as Christians that we have got to be careful not to do that in. He says, I gave all diligence. Let's look at one more phrase together. It could be that a generation only borrows the truth and then returns it rather than buying it and keeping it because it's present, been presented as a commodity of temporary use rather than some goods that are worth, worth owning. Worth owning. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to, to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Earnestly contending for the faith. Earnestly contending. It's, it's not just about being a courier of the truth and transferring it, but it's, it's living it out ourselves. Amen. Living it in a way, the idea of to strive to use earnest efforts to obtain or to defend or preserve. The fight, this, the idea of contending, sometimes you think of contention, you think about fighting. And the, the thought is this though, I think that more often than not, we're, we're contending, we're fighting against our own flesh than we are anything else. And as you and I as Christians, as we decide to say, okay, I, I understand the value of truth and I want to transfer it in such a way that it's being able to be passed along and deliver it, this common salvation, so it goes generationally, we cannot neglect our own Christianity. It, it can't be, this is how we do it. You do it just like the pastor says to do it because it's important for you. It's what are you and I living out in our own lives? Right. Earnestly contend for the faith. And he says, I exhort you. I think a lot of this passage is people who are living this out. And he says, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to challenge you to just keep on doing it. Keep on going. But, but, but do it with a little bit more conviction. Um, I, I would have said three months ago that I believed God wanted Capital City Baptist Church to start. I would have said that and I would have meant every word of it. But as time goes by, the conviction the truth seems to be even deeper in my spirit as I see God just working in special ways. Amen. Amen. And I can say it with a little bit more confidence. 
with a little bit more conviction, with, with, it, it's just deeper in my soul than it was three months ago when I say God wants this church to start. And I don't think he just wants it to start so it can fail. I think he wants it to have a strong start so it can continue. I think it's something that he loves the church. And I love what Pastor Hank said, that God loves the church more than he loves the man. And I see blessings coming my way and I'm thinking, I haven't really changed. What if I, and I realize it's because of his church. It's because of establishing this church and he's put me in this position. And I'm just convinced, I am, I am deeply convinced that God wants this church to start and he's given it a strong start. And until you become deeply convinced of these, these truths, these principles, the common salvation, the faith that we're supposed to contend with, and until that becomes ingrained in part of your DNA, it's going to always be transferred, unless it becomes deep in your heart, it's going to be conveyed as something that's, that's not very valuable. And that's just what I'm saying today, is that we have got to earnestly contend for the faith. Not just be able to win arguments or to, to fight battles so that you and I personally are living out the principles of this book. He said, beloved, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to saved people. He said, I gave all diligence to write unto you. He said, I put everything I have into this. It's a common salvation, and that's, that's the beauty of salvation, is that it's common to all. It's available to all. Common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Brothers and sisters, we have the great responsibility, the privilege of being the couriers of this faith. Yes to our community. Yes to our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost. But even bigger than that, from one generation to the next, in such a way that the next generation desires to do the same. And I understand personal responsibility in there. But may you and I not be guilty of quickly casting blame on them. May we look at ourselves first and say, How did I earnestly contend for the faith? Did I care for the things of God in such a way that it conveyed the importance, that it transferred the value of this so that they would say, I'm going to buy this and I own this and, and I'm going to own it all the way to the very end? Or did they take it and did they borrow it and say, it's good for now, you can have it when I'm done? Because that comes back on us to convey that importance. And we do that by earnestly contending, giving all diligence. So this week going forward, challenging week last week, perhaps, fatigue, no doubt, I want to exhort you to earnestly contend. Go into this week with the determination that you are going to live out your Christianity to the best of your ability Amen. in the power of the Lord. It's huge. It's bigger than just today. It's bigger than just this area. It's, it's common salvation, my friends. It's eternity. Let's pray together about this, if you would.